0: You're listening to Out of the
1: Box, a place for marketers to get inspired, get going, and break Out of the Box.
0: Welcome to this episode of Out of the Box. I'm Dan Feldstein, Director of Marketing at Iron Source. And today we're fortunate enough to be talking to Junie Ham, CEO and co-founder of Beacon, about his journey for building marketing organizations at some of the Travel and enterprise companies that you have probably heard of to building out enterprises themselves. Junie, welcome to the pod. Thanks, Dan, for having me. Appreciate it. Always. Um, When we met, I was the one who was studying marketing, and you were an engineering undergrad. And, uh, you know, I'd love for you to take the listeners and me a little bit about your journey from being a comp sci major to now building out these growth marketing organizations and eventually becoming a CEO and co-founder of your own company?
1: Sure, um, absolutely. Yeah, so as you mentioned, I graduated with a computer science degree. And I, you know, if you remember uh, back in the day, I complained a lot about how I hated computer science. So maybe that was something alone that you know, kind of foreshadowed my move into marketing. But uh, my first job out of college was as a software engineer. And I think it was sort of fortunate that the first project that I I was assigned at the job was to be building software for the marketing team. And if you remember the early 2000s, there was uh, Google AdWords was just launching and gaining traction. And although the industry had already started to come into being, it was still very early days. And so I think the timing was really amazing to be joining kind of a new uh, evolution of an industry like right at the beginning stages and the role and the opportunity was also pretty amazing and I was very fortunate because I was able to really like land into a team that was sort of desperate for new tools and software and they didn't have a lot of resources so they gave me a lot of responsibility and access to uh, you know a a wide variety of um, resources and tools and the team. And so everything from, you know, keyword generation to performance data and analytics to bid optimization algorithms, building user interfaces, starting to do revenue management. I was able to do that or have access to that from the very beginning. And so ended up really owning the entire marketing stack for this internal team from soup to nuts. So super fortunate to have that kind of experience so earlier on in my career. And I would say that one of the things that catalyzed my jump into marketing was I was doing a lot of analysis for the company or for the team, really. And they would say, hey, look into these set of keywords and show me the performance for the last you know month. And like let me know if you find any aberrations or anything interesting that you would want to share. And so I got into... Not only doing that for the marketing team, but also analyzing other areas of the business uh, within marketing that just kind of, you know, piqued my attention, um, depending on what I was working on. And I was able to build a wide variety and a large set of recommendations over time. And some of those recommendations were accepted and implemented. And I was able to see, you know, those recommendations actually hit the top line or the bottom line. It was really an amazing feeling. But then other times, those recommendations were not taken. And it felt sort of random for me, whether the things that I was doing were taken into consideration or not. And so I felt that the next step in my journey was to be in a position where I could make some of those decisions to be on the other side. And I remember, you know, kind of thinking like, you know, leaving engineering and leaving, um, Software development, leaving, you know, what I spent four years of my undergrad doing to essentially join, you know, quote unquote, the dark side was sort of this insane thing. Like nobody would at the time would move from marketing to software engineering. Now, today that happens all the time. But I remember taking that big step. And, you know, looking back, it was probably one of the most important decisions in my career that, you know, at the time felt like kind of a 50-50 shot on whether this was the right thing or not.
0: That's crazy. And so where was that? So, because you, I think for context, you know, you started more on the tech side and then you moved uh, at PriceGrabber into the search marketing
1: side. So, yeah, I mean, that's a great point. I went from being a software engineer and a product manager into my first role as a marketing director at PriceGrabber, which is a comparison shopping uh, company. And actually the story of how I got that job is pretty interesting because I had no prior marketing experience prior to that role. And I remember this really clearly, my interviewer who was uh, my hiring manager and ultimately my boss, you know, he asked me, you know, why, why should they hire somebody, you know, with no marketing experience? And (laughs) the reason why I even got to the interview in the first place was that Uh, Somebody I knew from my previous company had recommended me for the role, right? So they were like, this person's recommendation comes highly regarded. And so we'll have the conversation with you. But looking at your resume, you're a software engineer, you're a product manager, you're a business intelligence person. I don't understand. And I said that, you know, I've spent a lot of this time building software for a marketing team. And based on that experience, I actually believe in a different approach. I believe that a marketing team should be filled with analysts and engineers, and that if they did hire me, my ask would be actually to build a marketing team that was half technology folks. And that if they were not comfortable doing that, they shouldn't hire me because then I wouldn't know what to do. I wouldn't know how to run marketing in a traditional sense. Um, The only way I knew how to do this is, is to essentially take the things that I had learned as an engineer and execute on some of the hypotheses that I had were, which were, you know, actually unproven Uh, only bits and pieces of it were proven through the things that we had done. But this whole strategy would be net new for not only the company, but also for me. And, you know, for whatever bizarre reason, they decided to accept that answer and, and hire me. And I did end up doing exactly that. I ended up building a team where it was eight analysts, um, a statistician, uh, two statisticians and five engineers. And that was the marketing team. And I definitely got some pressure from the senior engineering leadership. Why does this marketing person have dedicated engineering resources when everybody else had more of a pooled system and some of these other concerns that, you know, leadership had, but ultimately, you know, as they say, the proof is in the pudding. And I was fortunate to be able to execute on the strategy and for for the strategy to work, neither of which of course were guaranteed, but, it ended up being where at the time that that particular part of the marketing team was a little, um, impacted. It was, um, you know, reducing in size month over month, it was actually not profitable and I was able to turn the channel around. And so ended up not only proving to me and to the company that this sort of approach worked and this approach quote unquote is a lot of what people do today, right? It's, it's like quantitative marketing. It's, you know, heavy performance management. It's a lot of that stuff. And, uh, and so as, as you, as you can say, you know, like the rest is history from there, I moved on to other marketing roles from Expedia to Airbnb and so on and so forth.
0: I think it's probably hard to imagine or remember today how unconventional that was even, you know, a little over a decade ago to have a more quantitative and technical marketing team. I you know, especially for digital first enterprises, I think like most of the things that we work on today didn't even exist. Right. Like certainly iron source didn't exist um, back in the late two thousands, uh, a bunch of other companies, you know, didn't have to add products yet. Um, so I know it's crazy. So it, it, it is like a little bit of a step back in time. So um, like you said, it, it sounds like that model that you pioneered, you, you, then brought that forward to that same model to Expedia and Airbnb and, and then the companies that you started building yourself.
1: That's right. You know, I think that, you know, some of, some of this may be commonplace now, but, you know, there wasn't really much of a playbook back when I was starting out. And just to your point, Iron Source didn't exist back then. Many companies didn't exist back then. And so I would say a lot of the lessons that, you know... I took away from these previous experiences are what kind of drive me to thinking about what does it mean to have, you know, best practices around marketing or digital marketing or performance marketing, you know, as it relates to building a, you know, performance marketing or a growth marketing team today, you know, there's two key things that I would think of. The first is, you know, the team in general, I don't mean every single person on the team, but overall having a heavy, sort of understanding or interest or leanings toward analytics and product management. And while these skills aren't the skills that the core team will use on a day-to-day basis, they will often interface really closely with product managers or with analysts. And those people might be in the marketing organization or they might be outside of the marketing organization, but I can't tell you how many times at pretty much every role I had where The marketing team had to work very closely and hand-in-hand with the product management team and that's often because the initiatives and the strategies that marketing is driving is really really dependent on what is on the page and what the funnel looks like and what the outcomes are from a product design or product management standpoint and then concurrently you're analyzing the performance data and you're analyzing the funnel and so definitely important to have analytical skills within the marketing department and also being able to work really closely with a more robust analytics department, maybe a team that's closely connected to with the data science or AI and machine learning teams to implement algorithms or, you know, sort of new technologies to allow the marketers and the marketing team to, you know, enhance their ability to do their jobs. So I would say that's one. And then second is sort of to map the organizational branches to stakeholder organizations. So marketing has emerged to be one of the most, I would say, horizontal teams in any large organization these days. Marketing is oftentimes really closely connected to revenue. It's obviously closely connected to marketing, it's like the primary job, but they also have you know, key stakeholders in sales, product management, analytics, operations. And so being able to design your team as a marketing leader that connects really seamlessly with the rest of the organization. If you have the ability to do that, I think is really important. Um, And I think for me personally, in times when I either had that organization as I joined the company or was able to implement that, it really made my job a lot easier because the communication channels were much more seamless and there was less... Uh, sort of an antagonistic relationship between departments, which can sometimes happen. Companies large and small can have organizational challenges if things are more siloed. And so being able to create those communication channels and to keep them as open consistently as possible is actually, in a lot of ways, one of the key advantages to um, a marketing team that has that at their disposal to be successful in the organization.
0: So, you know, it's interesting. I was going to ask this question later, but I feel like it's a a natural segue. Um, You were running marketing organizations, and then you have pivoted to CEO roles. You built your own company at Upside. You um, are currently running your own company at Beacon. You were uh, COO at Porch for for the people who are leading marketing organizations now that you've now that you've pivoted out of that function into a more leadership role what are the things that marketing leaders need to know about how to interface with like the other parts of the C suite like what are the things that you're worried about now that your marketing counterparts might not think about
1: that's an awesome question it's interesting i would say that if, you, if I look back on my career, going from somebody who led one particular channel within marketing to then multiple channels and then to running marketing as an executive, I learned a lot in that sort of period of growth and maturity. I think the number one thing or one of the most important things about that process was this idea of being able to really understand your business. And I think that that reflects this idea that marketers have evolved from somebody who is focused on the story and, you know, if you think about marketing, it's really about telling a story to your audience and having them believe that story, right? Whether that is selling a product or communicating thought leadership or getting them to perform a downstream action. Right. And I would say that that storytelling value is still incredibly important as a marketer, but it's also shifting into this idea that marketers are now, as much responsible for revenue and PL really as your general your your you know your general manager or your operator, you know, operator leader, CO or VP of operations. And I think that shift has been the most interesting shift that marketing as a discipline has made. And I can't speak for all marketers across all sectors, but I know in the sort of space that we operate in, which is like technology, you know, and you know tech enabled marketplaces sort of the silicon valley kind of type of companies the ability for a marketing leader to speak the language of the PL and to run their business run their marketing team like a business i think is incredibly important and i think that that is a natural transition for a marketing leader if they do want to move into more of a horizontal leadership role to really get that down pat to really understand how to read a pnl to really understand How to work closely with finance to do budgeting and forecasting excellently these are all skills that i would say it's not obvious that marketing leaders need but i think once you're in the role and you're advancing in your organization it's something that really gives you a an advantage and helps you be seen as a operating senior leader at your organization
0: do you think we're all it, it, it's so interesting, like listening to you talk about that? And now I'm going completely off script, but um, no problem. You know, I, you come from this world, many of our clients come from this world of focusing on ROAS, focusing on LTV, really being driven by numbers and connecting, you know, their marketing, advertising spend to revenue for the business and retention, kind of the the key business drivers, not so much traditional like brand lift, awareness, metrics. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's certainly the nature of of a lot of businesses and certainly tech-enabled businesses, but do you think, like, um, I had a conversation with a, a friend in banking recently, who I hope to get on the podcast, where we were talking about the difference between marketing being the uh, you know, kind of like broad storytelling, make an ad, sponsor a stadium versus marketing is the flywheel of the business. And mm-hmm. do we think marketing as a flywheel of the business is going to become more expected across industries that traditionally had a much more kind of like top of the funnel marketing experience?
1: I mean, absolutely. Like 100%. And I also think that this poses a challenge for marketing leaders and marketing organizations as well. I think it's unequivocally a good thing. It means that marketing as a discipline overall is evolving and becoming more strategic. And therefore, not only does it have a more meaningful seat at the table, but the other departments that comprise a leadership team, if you will, are listening and are more aware of marketing's growing influence and ownership, right? But at the same time, I don't know where I saw this figure, but the average tenure of a CMO is like less than two years. It's like 18 months. And that's a dramatic decline from what you might have seen five years ago, 10 years ago. I actually believe that's in large part driven by expectations of a marketing leader changing and also becoming more vague and uncertain. And part of that is because of marketing's drive into revenue, right? The fact that If we go back to what I said earlier about marketing, primarily being about storytelling and now evolving into sort of general management and revenue ownership, you're starting to bump against revenue organizations, you know, like sales. And I think that that's ultimately good because that conflict will create innovation and will create positive change. But it also means that now marketing leaders have to wear multiple hats and sometimes, it's not clear from executive leadership, like the COO or the CEO, what is more important or, you know, how important is it relative to the fact that it starts to bleed into other parts of the organization? so many of my marketing colleagues, you know, they often say like when we have conversations, it feels like they have a target on their back. And I think that Mm -hmm. this reflects this idea that marketing is subsuming these other organizations or becoming, like flipping the script on who is the stakeholder, who is the executor, who's strategic, who's operational, and it's creating tension in, in leadership teams. When you have, say, a new marketer come into a role that's been open and they approach it from this revenue lens, it probably can be disconcerting to the other executive leaders. And I think that's something that you're starting to see a lot more And I believe that there is a world where the CMO ends up having a more and more meaningful mandate or the role actually ends up going away because in some sense, the CMO is then the CRO, right? They become almost the same function in some ways. And it depends on the organization. Of course, it depends on if you're a B2B company versus a B2C company, if you're a marketplace company, if you sell to enterprise versus if you sell to SMB. But I think that that's something that you're starting to see is that these skill sets that the current crop of exceptional CMOs have, they are starting to look a lot more like CROs and COOs as much as they have looked like CMOs in the past.
0: That leads to another kind of spontaneous question, which is, and and for background for everyone who's listening, you're now uh, building and running a uh, talent services firm. Um, called Beacon Talent, and you have spent some time in that space when you your uh, CMO had hired, and from where you're sitting, you get to see the way a lot of emerging companies are structuring their organizations. You just alluded to it, uh, you know, depending on the type of company where you may have marketing in a different box on the org chart, are there, are you seeing different approaches to how teams are being structured, what functions are, under the marketing umbrella, what umbrella marketing is sitting under, um, how are like newer companies tackling that?
1: Yes, great question. It is, I would say, it. it the short answer is it depends, but uh, one of the things I am seeing is in marketplace organizations, which I do have a lot of experience in, given my background with Airbnb and hired and such, um, multiple sides of the marketplace, sometimes have shared operational needs and so rather having rather than having like a disparate like sales operations and a marketing operations function you end up having like a revenue operations function and then execution sometimes sits within the marketing and sales teams but there's like a centralized like analytical process team that's supporting both or all sides of the marketplace i'm also seeing that the CMO role that spans across all marketing is now moving into still titled CMO, but more of like a brand leader. And some of the more, I would say marketing operations, marketing automation, technical marketing components sitting under product. And that's to align the marketing channel leaders much more closely with product management who is often the interface to get resourcing and to facilitate execution. And if your product is completely online, say if you're SaaS, then connecting the marketing team to the product team makes a lot of sense. It actually reduces back and forth because those teams are not, um, reporting into separate organizations. And oftentimes your, um, OKRs can be much more tightly coupled, but those are some of the trends that I'm seeing, or at least examples that I'm seeing based on the companies that we uh, that Beacon works with. But also it is really dependent on what kind of company you are. and and you know earlier we were talking about b two b companies versus b2 c companies versus marketplace companies. I think marketplace companies ultimately have the greatest challenge because depending on who your constituents are on a particular side of the marketplace, you might be running multiple marketing organizations or at least multiple marketing strategies under one roof. And that's never an easy task.
0: (laughs) Can you talk a little bit more, uh, you know, uh, you have tremendous marketplace experience, I think defining what marketplaces are for the audience who might not know that term and, and talk a little bit about the dynamics of marketing in, in those kinds of companies.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, I guess a fairly straightforward way of defining a marketplace or a multi-sided marketplace is that you have two or more communities or constituencies and they interact together to transact on something that could be a purchase, that could be a service, that could be a, a, a variety of things that either determine a, you know, sort of value transfer or, or, or monetary transfer. So an example would be eBay. eBay is a two-sided marketplace where you have one side looking to buy something and then one side looking to sell something and they come in the middle, they agree on a price, the buyer receives the product from the seller and the seller receives payment from the buyer. Airbnb is another example except in travel where a a host uh, has uh, a listing or a property that is available for rent for a day, a week, a month. And there is a traveler or guest who seeks to um, acquire that time, if you will, and then they make it, they have a transaction and then ultimately the guest is able to stay in the host property and all is well. Um, I would say in terms of your question around marketplace marketing, right? Like, does it add or change sort of complexity or what are the differences with marketing in a marketplace versus, say, a standard B2C or B2B company? I mean, definitely adds complexity. I hinted at that in the last question. Um, I would say some of the things that I can think of in terms of complexity or complexity as it relates to marketplaces is one, you know, depending on the nature of the marketplace, you do end up running two different marketing strategies or sometimes two different marketing teams, right? One for each side of the marketplace. For example, at Hired, we were marketing to uh, software engineers, product managers, designers as individuals, like as end users in a B2C context, we were trying to get them to join our marketplace. While on the other side, we were building a B2B client-side, you know, mid-market marketing team that really connected and partnered with our sales team, right? And so marketing was responsible for a lot of, uh, initially, some sales enablement, inbound marketing. Uh, We helped with content creation and thought leadership. We partnered really closely with the sales team. And so those two mandates are fairly different. And so initially I actually, given the resources I had, I had individual marketing team members playing double duty and it was pretty clear after a couple quarters that that just wasn't scalable. And so we ended up building two distinct marketing teams, one for the candidate side and one for the client side. And that worked better. Um, I would also say that, you know, Another thing that's uh, adds complexity is this idea of balancing supply and demand. So this is something that marketplace people just hear all the time and probably, you know, groan, you mm-hmm. know, at this point. But this idea that because marketplaces have two different sides that constantly ebb and flow and marketing is often the team responsible for not only driving more supply or more demand into the marketplace, but also calibrating them, meaning... If, you know, if the the right ratio for the marketplace to be in balance is one buyer to 10 sellers, as just a trivial example, then you're now not only managing just getting people to the marketplace, but you have to also make sure that you're only getting one buyer for roughly every 10 sellers that you're marketing to. So That creates an additional challenge. And I think that, you know, if you don't have that balance, it can be everything from decreased efficiency to lost revenue to, you know, unhappy customers, because once they land on that particular thing that they want, there might not, might not be anything there. So, you know, I think that there are some similar aspects to this in a DDC context where you don't want to be say aggressively increasing your budget when you completely run out of inventory. That seems like mm-hmm. an obvious thing to avoid, but in a marketplace that's complicated because you're controlling both sides of that, right? The marketing team has responsibilities uh, to increase, decrease, calibrate, both the people that are buying and the people that are selling or the products that are being sold. So that creates additional complexity. I would say also connected to that is this idea that for every marketplace that I've been a part of, we have multiple categories, a category in a home services context could be, you know, um, handyman HVAC, um, gardening, uh, windows, right. These different categories for hired. It was, software engineers, product managers, designers, so on and so forth. So you have a bunch of categories that you're managing. And then you have markets. So because a of marketplace oftentimes you're dealing with sort of scarce inventory or localized inventory, each marketplace now is dependent on how how many software engineers are in Denver versus Toronto versus New York versus San Francisco versus L.A. And so not only are you calibrating a marketplace, hmm. you're calibrating like many marketplaces, micro marketplaces. So if you have 15 categories and 10 markets, you're literally trying to manage supply and demand for 150 unique nodes. And so this is where the, I would say the operational complexity really expands and the marketer, the marketers and the marketing team in a marketplace context also has to wear this like sort of revenue optimization and yield management and like heavy analytics hat because it's not so it's not as simple as just driving traffic or driving customers to a particular product it's like making sure that the right number of customers who want the right number of things in the right number of markets are getting exactly the number that they're looking for um which can be pretty complicated
0: and do you think that when or have you seen when when some of these marketplace companies are launching do they naturally understand that the the person that they're looking for in marketing should have that skill set to be able to analyze marketplaces and be able to balance the equal, you know, find the equilibrium of supply to demand. Like is, do they, or do they just look for that in the product person and not have it as something as a skill set that they think would be essential?
1: That's a great question. I would not say I have a definitive answer to that, but I've seen, both cases that you described, one where the marketing team is coming from a more, say, traditional D to C or B two B background, or maybe they have worked in marketplaces, but they haven't really tested for the competencies around understanding how to calibrate a complicated, sorry, a complex marketplace. And there have been situations where I think teams have hired correctly. I think that, you know, if you're building out a marketing team and a marketplace marketplace company. I would say understanding the nuances of running a marketplace would be probably, if not on the top of the list, definitely in like the top three things I would be looking for, whether uh, in a leader or in individual team members. I think if the leader has deep experience around marketplaces, they can really communicate that and teach that to the team. But somebody in that organization needs to be able to understand and optimize for that. I think that not only is it that... Experience of having run a complex marketplace. But I think then, if you have a marketplace with uh, a number of nodes, then being really operationally sort of excellent and really leaning on an analytical skill set also gives you an advantage as a marketer operating in that kind of environment. And so I think that, you know, it's something that I feel is becoming more commonly known. Like that is something that skill set is required to be really great out of the gate for a marketplace company but marketplaces also um there're nuances around marketplaces as well which i described the whole like software engineers in LA that's a you know local quote unquote local buyer local seller like local supply local demand but Marketplaces can be sometimes like local supply, global demand, or local uh, local demand, global supply. So I think it also creates complexity where it depends on the marketplace you are building or the company is building, and that is more of a sliding scale in terms of complexity.
0: On the topic of complexity, maybe taking a little bit of a, of a turn, um, complexity and change, you know, right now we're obviously in the midst of a tremendous upheaval, and looking back you were in the growth marketing space during a lot of other big changes i think of like you know the launch of the app store the mm-hmm. launch of facebook advertising and uh, you know i was wondering if we could talk a little bit about how you you know how do you navigate that when you're when you're at a big company and all of a sudden a new channel launches or like something comes to market that that you need to be in and It it happens very fast.
1: Yeah, um, I think there's one example that I'm thinking of as you share that, you know, I think that I was pretty fortunate in that the leaders in the companies that I was a part of when these types of changes happened, allowed me or somebody else in the organization to fill that space without feeling like there had to be sort of a the sort of conversation about, you know, who owns what or, you know, sort of organizational dynamics taking over the conversation. It was, this team seems to have an adjacency, let them go figure it out and then bring it back with a set of recommendations. And so that actually did happen to me and my team specifically at Expedia when Facebook really started to come out of the gates with their ad products and started to gain traction in in the market and at the time my team ran search so even though search and social now are very different and it's clear that they're very different and the strategies and the tactics that, that you use are not necessarily the same in those times facebook ads versus google ads were closer closer uh, closer in alignment than say brand marketing or partnerships right and so given that my team ran SEM, uh, it seemed to be a natural fit for our team to sort of explore how to leverage Facebook ads. And so I was given the mandate to just deploy some of my members of the team to investigate and come back to me with a recommendation. And so I did that. And, you know, I think that I look at that uh, that example and that experience around how, when something new arises, it creates a space and whether you're the CEO of the company, or if you're the marketing leader and you're trying to figure out what to do, it's important to disconnect somebody going in to examine and explore that space and come with a recommendation versus what the longer term strategy or ownership or who who does this new channel or business unit go to? And being really clear with your team about that. And I think for for my example at Expedia, while that wasn't explicitly said, it was sort of implicitly said. And so, you know, we did end up running uh, an experiment. We ran um, a number of tests and provided the leadership team with a re- set of recommendations. And it was decided that we would run that team, you know, for a few quarters, and then ultimately that team would be spun out into its own team. And I think making sure that those expectations are set early with your team, and that decoupling the exploration, you know, in product management, you know, kind of like doing a spike, if you will, versus who know that team ultimately reports to or what that's going to look like within the organization is really important because if you start to think about that first it really slows down the ability to explore that space and we live in a world now where i think when i was at Expedia, i thought that we had executed pretty quickly but today every new channel every new product you know every new vector creates um these spaces but these spaces are filled more and more quickly i think growth marketing has evolved from just being this sort of amalgamation of analytics product and marketing into how do I quickly explore and exploit new channels, new and emerging channels uh, for the benefit of the company. Um, And I think that that's something that is very tied to this conversation, which is there are increasingly more and more products, channels, services that are created every month. And so marketers also have to be really connected to what is happening at the bleeding edge and ensure that they can evaluate whether a new product or a new channel is worth investing in because the time that you can be the dominant player in that particular emerging channel could be the difference between winning that channel or not. And that time is like, you don't have that much time anymore because everything is moving so much faster than it did a year ago, five years ago, gosh, you know, 10 plus years ago when I started out in this space.
0: Yeah. I mean, just think, you know, we're recording this uh, in this interim between, uh, you know, the the TikTok kind of uh, <laughs> uncertainty. And I think it's so fascinating to think, you know, it was such a long cycle in the past where, you know, brands took their time to get onto Facebook. And now it's like TikTok emerged. Everyone decided that they had to get on it. It's, it might be banned. Like, do they figure out what they're going to do um, to replace? It? Do they move it to reels? Do they move it to thriller? Like, I, I think one thing I will say is that I, I believe a lot of advertisers have uh, become more agile in adopting new platforms and realizing they they cannot wait as long um, to make decisions about new formats as they had in the past. Um,
1: I totally agree.
0: I want to kind of. Take us home with a couple of questions. Um, You know, uh, we were talking before we started recording about how long we've known each other. And uh, I don't like to give numbers, but I took an e-commerce class when we were at Penn. And, you know, my e-commerce class was like about email marketing. And and one of our projects was to actually like post something for sale on eBay. Uh, (laughs) you know, like create a, create a listing. Like that's how long ago it was.
1: Oh my gosh.
0: Um, you know, the idea of a true performance marketer, data-driven marketer, quantitative marketer, whatever you want to call this person, didn't exist in the same way. And to, to those students who might be in engineering or in like a, you know, a business and technology program or um, want to bring quant, to marketing, like what advice would you give those kids today?
1: That's a great question. I would say that some of the things that I learned in my experience are relevant today and some of the things are not. And so I'll go in that order. I would say the first is there's nothing quite like being as close to the data as you possibly can, like being on the metal of how your channels are performing, what data is coming in from various systems that sort of propagate into your databases. And I think I go back to my time when I would write SQL queries directly into the production database to try and understand what was happening with some of the new keywords or campaigns we were launching. And I think that that still applies today. And what I mean by that is we are now in a world where there are systems on top of systems on top of systems. And so it is harder to get to like real or raw fidelity around information or data. That said, being able to really understand what you're looking at in sort of raw numbers and to be able to analyze performance and to know when something is working, when something is not working. I think that is something that skill set will serve you well throughout your entire career. And I think it will also give you a leg up on your peers because I believe that that skill set is, not that it's fallen out of favor, but it, it becomes less important because there are all these other tools and services that provide support uh, such that you don't have to do that as much. And so I think that that's one that I would personally recommend to people who are looking to get into this space is, is to really polish um, and sharpen your analytical skills and your ability to take data and do something with it, turn it into information, turn it into insights. And I think that that is a skill set that isn't just important for marketing, but really important for any, almost any role in a technology leaning company. I would say the other thing, which is something that I didn't, not only did I not practice, but also was not important back then was this idea of always being aware of what's coming out. and starting to tune your sense for whether something has legs or not. And I think that when you are in an early stage company, you don't have a large budget, you don't have a large team, you have to be scrappy. And to me, scrappiness is not just being able to stand up something quickly, but it's also taking advantage of short periods of time. And there is a there is a world where Channels can rise and fall in a year, you know, and, but in that year, it could be glorious. You know, they could, you you know, burn super brightly and flame out. But if you had the opportunity to build on top of that platform and be, you know, a meaningful user or advertiser or consumer or brand or, you know, voice that could materially impact your business maybe just for that year, you know, but it could be the difference between your company having a year of runway or two years of runway or able to raise that next round of funding. And so this is something that I've only really started to appreciate and start to get convicted around in the last few years because of the proliferation of new channels, the compression of how new channels and services reach escape velocity, right? Like if you think of AdWords, you know, kind of growth and ultimate dominance over the last 20-ish years versus the rise of something like TikTok, it's insane. Like as an oldie, old person like me, like, like it's mind blowing. But yet, <laughs> it also shows you that this compression is is very real and it's happening and it's very meaningful for companies who can take advantage of it.
0: I mean, I, I was just thinking about how I, how I need to figure out how to get you an invite to Clubhouse. <laughs> like new platforms that you're wondering, like, is this even going to be not to, not to say anything about them and I'll probably have this edited out, but, um, (laughs) you know, who knows, who knows what their kind of process is going to look like and what their evolution is going to look like. Um, And then the last question that we always ask all of our guests is, Looking back on your career, what's the most out-of-the-box
1: marketing that you've taken
0: part in, been
1: involved with, led? Yeah. So as you know, uh, my background's been in performance marketing for the majority of my career. And so I'm very comfortable with online channels and you know, Google, AdWords, social media marketing, that kind of thing. The one thing that I look at, like, if I look back on my career and say, well, that was pretty interesting or Is it was different, was when... I was uh, running, well, you know, started, co-founded Upside. It was in the fintech space. And we were in the process of launching our marketing. And we started out with performance marketing channels first. And we did a lot of A-B testing on ad copy. And so headlines and descriptions, we tested a variety of different phrases. We tried different value propositions. We tried different tone and voice, everything. And one of the ones we tested outperformed by just this incredible magnitude of, you know, performance improvement over the rest of the ads. And I was like, huh, it's so interesting. And it was so different than all the other tests we were running, which were sort of incremental changes on the, the incumbent ad. And so what I decided to do was take that phrase, uh, which was beat the robo advisors. And I applied it to like everything I put it, uh, I replaced our our homepage uh, hero image and text, and replaced it with that versus the, the the old hero. I tested our PR pitches with this phrase. I really like tried applying it to everything, and it turns out that that phrase worked for everything. So we were <laughs> we were like struggling with um, you know getting um, media relations hits uh, from the people we were pitching uh, journalists, reporters. I changed it to this phrase as part of our headline and as part of our initial copy got picked up right away. Like it actually transformed uh, our business's awareness in our space, like almost overnight. And so it just kind of goes to show you this idea that while performance marketing, the things that you uh, learn from from tests and from comparing different variants and running ABs is very important in the context of performance marketing it was a little bit of a stretch for me to be like, how do I take that idea, not just the content of the winner, but also testing, A-B testing across all these channels that I would never would have considered doing A-B tests around and to see the results also you know, significantly improve um, as a result of that work was like sort of a you know, eye opener for me. And so I now kind of approach marketing with this idea of it doesn't matter what channel it is, it could be you know, press comms, it can be Facebook ads, um, winner, you know, like, you know, let your winners ride. Right. And I really attribute my experience with upside and being able to discover that tone and voice and that messaging and that value proposition through literally one, you know, set of very, very sort of narrow granular tests as the reason why we shifted our entire like messaging and positioning and really almost like our brand identity as a result.
0: I think that's tremendous. Um, and we will leave it with that. Thank you so much for taking the time today and joining us and sharing your experience. And I, uh, you know, it's amazing how long you can know someone and, and not really know how much you share in common when it comes to work. So this has been personally a lot of fun for me and uh, very eye opening. Hopefully the audience finds it the same way.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me. I really enjoyed it. Um, always good to have. Any kind of conversation with you, Dan, and uh, I think this is the first time we've had a deeply professional one in this setting, and I also really enjoyed it and had a blast, so thank you for having me.